Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. And from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask in this moment that you would do the thing that only you can do, and it's the thing you've promised to do. And that is by the power of your spirit, would you shine light on these words that are in your word? Lord, would you shine light on the words that I've prepared? And Lord, would you shine light in the places in our hearts where the light needs to be shown? Lord, and would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I knew it was gonna happen. I knew it was gonna happen, and I knew the way in which it was gonna happen, and I knew the timing by which it was going to happen. See, on August 24th of 2022, the President of the United States of America issued a plan, a decree, that all student lending or loan debt would be forgiven. And I was incensed. Now, incensed is a word that means 
very upset. And I found myself wanting to throw things at the computer or throw the phone or throw things at the TV. Does anybody watch TV for news anymore? Quick show of hands. Just kidding. (laughs) And I wanted to say things like, you've got to be joking me. Are we really gonna reward people's irresponsibility? And we're gonna do that with what money, what resources? And the reason I felt that way is because exactly one month before, I had paid my last payment. (laughs) I'm not talking about politics anymore. What is it about forgiveness that offends us so deeply? It's unreasonable. It's illogical. It makes no sense at all. But look me in my eyes this morning. It is, of course, all of our hope. In our relationship with God, in any kind of relationship we hope to have with each other. A counselor and a mentor said to me one time, forgiveness is the thing that makes the world go. It's the only way it works. See, forgiveness is a deeply offensive notion unless you happen to be the one in deep need of it at the time. To explore Jesus' words about forgiveness, because in this passage, Jesus is um, teaching us to pray that we would be a people who know how to receive forgiveness from our Lord. And that we would learn to be a people that know how to then release forgiveness to one another. And in order to explore this together, we need to do three things. First of all, first of all, we need to talk about sin as Jesus explains it. So in part one of this sermon, I'm going to give you something of a primer on sin, on what sin is. Part two, I want us to think together about the way in which our Father, remember Jesus frames this entire prayer under the notion of God is a Father who sees us and knows us. So I wanna talk about the way that the Father treats us in our sinfulness. And then thirdly, we would be wise to pay attention to Jesus's warning in this passage that there is some connection between our ability to receive forgiveness from God and our ability to pass it out to others. And if we can't find the way to do that, it means something has gone wrong deep in our souls. So we're gonna explore these three pieces together. But the main thing I want you to hear this morning, if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear that there is more freedom than you know. That in Christ, There is much 
freedom to be lived. There's deep freedom in forgiveness. That is good news for us this morning. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at what Jesus is talking about here. Look with me at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our, our debtors. Jesus is going to talk about debts here. The second part that I read in verses 14 and 15 is going to use the word trespasses. When we recite the Lord's Prayer together here, we use trespasses. Other tr- traditions use debts. Other translations will use trespasses. So let's just talk in a full way about what's happening here. First of all, just a primer on sin. Um, in the Bible, sin is a complicated phenomenon, okay? The Bible is, is not going to just give us a definition for sin exactly, but it's gonna give us metaphors and pictures. It's gonna tell us stories. It's gonna give us poems and images. It's gonna give us didactic teaching. It's gonna help us see what it looks like in the life of a community in the letters of the Apostle Paul, for example. Sin is a complicated idea, and let me just cover some of the bases. Sometimes the Bible will talk about sin as a weight that we bear, a burden that we carry around with us that we just deeply want to be free of. Sometimes the scriptures will talk of sin as a stain, as a mark or a stain that we really deeply want to be cleansed of. Sometimes the scriptures will talk of sin as transgression, which is the idea of a line, something we knew to be the boundary that we purposely want to step over. Sometimes the scriptures will teach us that sin dwells somewhere in the deep desires and longings of our hearts, and our desires can be disordered to the point where we desire the wrong things. Sometimes sin in the Christian tradition and the scriptures is talked about almost as a posture, a curving in on ourselves as we've talked about so often. Jesus will talk about sin as a sickness that we're infected with, that we deeply want to be healed from. The scriptures will talk about sin as a, as a mark, something we're supposed to be, and we can't seem to hit that mark. And here, Jesus talks about sin in a classic first century way as being a debt that we owe that we know we cannot repay. In all of these things, I want you to see some common things. Number one, sin is something we do in the Bible. But also, sin is something that we are. We are sinners. Now, in the scriptures, sin, um, or the scriptures show us the consequences of sin, and perhaps maybe the most obvious one is when Adam and Eve are in the garden, and after they sin, they end up naked, ashamed, alone, and hiding from God and from one another. That is what sin always does to you and me, leaves us feeling exposed, embarrassed, 
guilty, ashamed, hiding, and alone. Guilt in particular is like, I did a thing. Shame is different in the fact that you feel like you are a thing. Here's how bad it is. It's so bad that the Bible teaches us that it's original inside of every one of us. And not just in this room, but in every person in the world. In fact, sinfulness is the common bond between all human persons. The first common bond is that we're all made in God's image, and the second one is that we're marked and marred by sin. See, the doctrine of original sin, the idea that sin dwells in all of us universally, is actually meant to engender some compassion, actually. Because we know that we're all in this difficult state and we're in it together. Here's how bad it is. It's, it's total. It infects every single part of who we are. We don't think rightly. We don't feel rightly. We don't act rightly. We don't desire rightly. We don't choose rightly. We don't respond rightly in every part of who we are. Here's, here's how bad it is. Week after week after week, we believe that we need to come into a room like this and acknowledge our sin before God and before one another in order that we could receive of his grace to be restored and refreshed. And it's so bad that we think we have to do that every single week. We have to be resurrected again every week. In other words, we know instinctively that we have this problem with sin and we deeply need forgiveness. And that's what Jesus is telling us in verse 12. He's telling us to be aware of that and to be constantly praying to the Lord, Lord, would you forgive us for our sin, our debts, our offenses, our trespasses, whatever the picture and metaphor so we know we're sinners and we know we need forgiveness and Jesus encourages us to pray for it. But let me remind you of the very thing that Jesus reminds us of when he starts this prayer. That prayer for forgiveness is uttered to not a judge or a lawyer or probation officer or a distant relative to a government official, that prayer is uttered to a father. And of course, this changes everything. Because if God, our God, is a perfect heavenly father, and if our Lord Jesus has given us access to this perfect heavenly father by the power of his spirit then everything about going to our lord with our sin changes we move from oh my gosh look at what i've done i hope he doesn't find out 
to, oh my gosh, look at what I've done. I need to go talk to him now. It's a very different way of viewing your life. See, Jesus paints this exact picture. He paints this exact picture of, in Luke chapter 15. Um, it's a long story, but, but people are upset with Jesus because he's always keeping company with sinners. Jesus always wants to be with sinners because he is expressing the love of God for sinners like in his very person and work. He is the welcome of God in his very person. He's always found eating meals with sinners. And of course, this is deeply offensive to the people at the time. And he tells a story, and the story basically goes like this. There's a young son, and he decides he doesn't want anything to do with the father anymore. He essentially says to the father in so many words, I wish you were dead. Give me the money. I don't want to have anything to do with you. The broken relationship. And he goes off to into a distant and far country and just completely wastes his life and inheritance and money and sin and, and filth. And then he has the notion at the deepest, most rock bottom place. There is no place deeper for a Jewish person in the first century than having to eat pig food. I'm not sure there's a place deeper for you and I either, by the way. And he has the notion, maybe, just maybe, just maybe I can go back and go be a slave. And as he musters up the strength to beg to be a slave, what he finds is there is a father who's waiting for the first sign on the horizon of his return. And in the most reckless and sort of undignifiedly beautiful way, comes running off the porch in order to receive him, kiss him, restore him, forgive him, throw him a party. Jesus is saying that's the way God responds to sinners. Y'all, every now and then, I know it's gonna be hard to believe, but, but every now and then my children do things that displease me. It's not hard to believe, right? And, it, and it's deeply sometimes. They offend against my standards and rules. They can't quite measure up to the mark or whatever. And, and I don't go stand in a room somewhere distant with my door shut, inaccessible to them. In fact, I do something very strange. I kind of wander around the house and I take a peek at them when I see them in their kind of misery. And, I, and I'll kind of like be like, hey, um, how are you? Um, how you feeling? What are you thinking about? Or I'll go and kind of peek in where they are and just touch their back and say, hey, um, are you okay? In other words, I am looking. I'm looking for the slightest hint, the slightest hint of request in their eyes for forgiveness. And the, and the, and the second I see it, all of my affection just bursts forth out of me. See, that is what Jesus is saying in this prayer is we can ask our God for forgiveness, and he wants to give it. He's eager to give it. He's eager to be restored. I remember one time with one of my children, this kind of problem that had happened, I remember looking at him, and I remember look, catching his eyes, and I remember saying, hey, 
do you want to be restored? And he just opened his eyes. Y'all, my favorite moment in the life of our church, my favorite moment, okay? My favorite moment is when we're together and you're all standing there and you confessed your sin and we give a couple quiet moments for you to think about that. And then I I promise y'all, I see it every single week when I tell you of the forgiveness and mercy that is found in the person work of Jesus. In a room this size, I can actually see like breath exhale. I can actually see sometimes quiet or closed eyes begin to squint with joy. I can see smiles crack in the corners of your lips sometimes. Just like when we take communion together, I see all the munchy jaws. When you hear of Jesus' forgiveness, I see this kind of like, collectively. And Jesus is saying, if God is that way, and he is, and if I've given you access to the Father, and he has, then praying for forgiveness of sins is the most freedom thing you could possibly do. Primer on sin, how our Lord treats us. Third, but in spite of those that, that being true, We don't want to pass out forgiveness to others. We we want to throw our phone or throw something at the screen and be like, you've got to be joking me. Every now and then in like pastoral care moments, I'll mention forgiveness. And people will really quickly, and I recognize it because I do it myself, they'll think things like, well, then I'll just reward them. I'll let them off the hook. I don't have it in me. And in those kind of resistance moments, your instincts are right. It is an impossible ask. It's not possible. It's not possible to be a person who forgives except by the power of the Spirit, except for the strength Jesus provides. And Jesus is warning us about something here. Look with me at verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is probably, we could spend weeks on this. But I think think what's happening here is Jesus is not painting a picture that when we ask forgiveness of the Father, he pulls out the ledger of all the ways that we're harboring unforgiveness against others, and he kind of says, sort of, petition denied. I don't think that's the picture. But what Jesus is saying is the condition of the heart, the condition of the heart that has freely received the forgiveness of God is changing in such a way that it freely passes out forgiveness to others. In other words, the people among you that are the most gracious, the most merciful, are usually the ones who understand the depth of their own forgiveness kind of deepest. I think Jesus is telling us something of a warning. He's telling us of a warning that when we harbor unforgiveness, I've heard somebody give this picture once, it's like drinking poison of our own souls and expecting the other person to get sick and ill. It's not going to happen. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. 
But the fact that he's talking about that deeper heart issue is not supposed to mute the warning. When we find ourselves harboring a lack of forgiveness, there is a connection between our ability, our understanding of God's forgiveness. Just let me give you one story that Jesus tells related to this in this same Gospel of Matthew. I mean, in the same Gospel of Matthew, he tells a story of a, um, of a servant who owed a big debt to a master. Now, if you extrapolate the like math, or at least I tried to this week, and I'm not the greatest math guy in the world. But Jesus says that this person owes 10,000 talents. A talent is the equivalent of 20 years of salary. So 10,000 times 20 of whatever salary is. In other words, it's, it's ancient Greek for a lot of money. And the servant who owes the inestimable burden of debt comes to the master and begs for mercy and the master is moved and forgives it. But that one who was forgiven, he had a debtor also and that debtor owed him about $20. And when that debtor could not pay him, he grabs the throat of the one in debt and shakes him, the idea of trying to kill him. And the whole point of the story is What's going on? But the good news of the gospel, that is not the way that the Lord Jesus has treated you. And the good news of the gospel is that day by day, degree by degree, the Lord himself, by the power of his spirit, is changing you into a person who is able to forgive others. As you receive it, you pass it out. As you receive it, you pass it out. That is the kind of maturity that the Lord Jesus is producing in you. So Jesus is encouraging us to pray for forgiveness from God. He's encouraging us to pray, to pray that we can grow as people who forgive others. And I think, I think the I think the promise that the scriptures would teach us is the kind of freedom and the kind of joy that can be found from being a person who forgives others. You will learn to love embracing a posture of mercy toward others. You will find unspeakable joy in being a person who forgives others. You will find the most freedom you can imagine by being a person who releases forgiveness to others. Last bit, what are we really praying here when we pray this prayer? I want to just kind of put it in other words for us to take hold of. Here's what we're saying when we're praying this petition. Here's what we're saying. We're saying, Lord, I know me. And I know the depths of misery 
deep in my soul for the things I've done, the things I've left undone, the failure that I have to be the person that you would have me be. I know it. My sin, in the words of the psalmist, is ever before me. And I'm asking you to unburden me. I'm asking you to cleanse me. I'm asking you to release me. I'm asking you to heal me. I'm asking you to help me. I'm asking you to set me free. Of course, our Lord's answer to that prayer is, of course, because our Lord Jesus, again, becomes the answer to this own prayer. He, he, goes, he goes to the cross in order to purchase that kind of forgiveness for you, and it is sure, and it is certain. In the second part of the, this petition, we're saying, Lord, would you make me new? Would your forgiveness, would your grace and your mercy seep so deep inside of me to such a degree that I begin to see others with compassion and so that I can extend your kind of grace and mercy, the same mercy you've extended to me, would you help me be a person that extends it to others? And of course, the promise is by the power of the Spirit, our Lord is making you that way. I think we're praying a third thing when we pray it because we pray this prayer corporately together. We're saying, Lord, would you now also help Grace Fellowship be the kind of community that's marked by mercy and grace and forgiveness and repentance and healing and restoration? Would you bind up the broken relationships that exist even in this room right now? Would you make us a people of mercy? By the power of spirit, God's making us that kind of people too. You can be more free than you can possibly imagine. Amen. Let's pray.